I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing, the number one oil and gas podcast in the world, Mark LaCour, episode 50. How you doing? I'm doing great. Episode 50, so cool that we got here. Two more, we bet our one-year anniversary. Two more. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Mark, it, it's Nape Week, and I'm already exhausted. <laughs> wow. We had fun yesterday, didn't we? We we had a blast. We met some really great people at the, at the, at the icebreaker last night. Yeah, and then I'm on my way back as soon as we finish recording the show. I have interviews to do all day long, so it's going to be a busy two days for us. Yeah, you got interviews, and I'm going to be walking the floor, getting to know some people, shaking babies, kissing hands, doing all that stuff. Um, but I had a revelation from you yesterday at the at the NAEP icebreaker party. Yeah, I, I bet our audience is going to laugh when they hear this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try to not get emotional, but... <laughs> You thought that show was going to be a waste of your time, Mark LaCour. Yes, I did. When you first proposed us doing a podcast, in my head, I go, this is a total waste of time. But I did it as a favor to you. And I will be the first to admit that it was not a waste of time and I was completely wrong. But yeah, when you first talk about it, it's like, eh, I don't feel like doing that, but I'll do it as a favor. (laughs) So when did you realize it wasn't a waste of your time? When people started reaching out to us and we could help them, and it's like, wow, we really are reaching a bunch of people out there that could that enjoy and see benefit in this podcast. So, uh, you know, good job on your part on convincing me to do something that I didn't think was worth my time. <laughs> That's so funny to me because I'm I'd never heard you say that, and I can't, we were talking to Neil Went, so we'll get to one of his articles here as we as we go through them, but that was really hilarious to me. So. Good on you for giving uh, giving me a, a little sympathy favor and and getting this started. And now yeah, here we are, one year. Like, go ahead. One year, one year, and 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 you've got some news on on an update on what we might be doing for our yeah, one so year. We, we are planning a live event where our audience can come sit live with us and ask us questions, which we will record the show the first Friday Q&A, but it will be live at a very cool venue. We're not going to announce the venue yet, but the event will be a live show where our audience can come sit down, have something to eat, have something to drink, and just talk to us. I'm I'm so fired up about this. It's going to be like a real, real production. We'll get cue cards, get everybody cheering when they need to and all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. I really look forward to that, but we've got a lot to get to because we got to get back down to Nape and, uh, and, and you got, you got your interviews. I got some business to do. So let's get into it. Top stories. Number one, we're going to kick it off because Total is, is jumping right in. Iran signs oil deal with Total deal done in euros. I don't know if that, that makes a difference, but regardless what's going on. It's actually one of the the big things in this agreement. Now, before this this headline sounds sensational. The truth is, Total never really pulled out of Iran. They've had an office there. They've done a bunch of business there, but done a bunch of production and development there. And they had an office there even during the sanctions. So this is them just basically picking up from where they left off. The interesting thing, though, is that the dollar, the contract to buy between 150 and 200,000 barrels of Iranian oil, was done in euros instead of dollars. And maybe our audience doesn't know this, but in most of the world, oil deals are done in American dollars, except the countries that force you to use local currency. And then the oil companies, as quick as they can, convert that local currency to American dollars. And that's done for a reason, right? Because the dollar is the most stable currency on the planet. But because this deal is done in euros, you're starting to see the shift where Iran is starting to try to do more business in Europe, right? 
And the reason they're trying to do that is take away market share from Russia. So th there's some geopolitics going behind this deal. Um, but, you know, here's a good deal for Total, one of the super majors um, jumping in and getting ready to start uh, getting oil and gas produced and then shipping it to Europe so that uh, your fuel prices remain low. How does this play into the whole Iran coming online uh, apocalyptic crisis in terms of prices? Story. Yeah, there, there's no apocalyptic crisis. This is just another producer <laughs> that's found a market, right? Um, and what's going to happen is eventually they'll end up shipping about 300,000 barrels per day to Europe. And Europe needs this because Europe's buying that same $300,000, 300,000 barrels from Russia, right? So this will allow uh, uh, Europe to uh, reduce the chokehold Russia has on the European economy. And of course, Russia has then shifted markets to starting to sell a lot of their hydrocarbons to China. So this is just a shifting in the market globally. You said that they've they they never really pulled out. I see it says in the article here there's stuff about them doing business in the '90s and so forth. So can you give us a little backstory on that? Yeah. So um, there actually is a bunch of backstory back here. So uh, Total has been doing business in Iran, and when I say doing business, helping the Iranian government and people actually drill wells and go into production. Now, some of our folks that have been in the industry for a while may remember that back in I think 2010, uh, Total was. Um, was criticized and said that they were actually paying bribe money. And then I think in 2013, the U.S. government actually um, had civil and criminal allegations, and Total agreed to pay, I think, about $400 million um, because they basically caught with their hand in the cookie gar, jar. The CEO of that time um, um, was expected to face charges, but then if you remember, he actually tragically died in a plane crash. So they, they dropped the case, of course, because he's dead. But that's kind of the backstory. Total's been there for a long time. And there's also uh, uh, they touch on on some some trillion cubic meters of natural gas. Yeah, it's one of the biggest gas reserves on the planet. Um, and and that that gas, there's an appetite for that gas all over the world. So you know, once again, you end up um, delivering cheap, clean, environmentally friendly fuel and driving prosperity in parts of the world that don't have it right now. Yeah, and I'm thinking right back to the Russia angle because you're hearing a lot about. Well, we've been even talking a lot about that about. Russian going through Ukraine and all the pipeline issues going on there. So uh, I guess is, is it is it kind of like uh, the the I, I hate to use the term, but um, the the lesser of two evils. No, it's absolutely no. That's the right thing. It's the lesser of two evils, and you know a lot of people in the U.S. Um, um, don't like Iran. Uh, because of a lot of the stuff that's happened in, in recent history. But I'm telling you, exposing Iran to the Western way of life will gradually shift their politics and the way their people act and actually make them a better steward in the world than they are now. Just give it time. All right, moving from Iran over to South Asia, a pipeline to South Asia prosperity. So there, there, there's more pipeline talk. Is this about the stuff that's going on between Iran and, um, I'm sorry, not Iran, um, Turkey and Afghanistan and so forth? Yeah, it, it's exactly right. So um, there's a, a huge pipeline. This I think it's over a thousand mile pipeline. Um, it's in the works to actually uh, transport natural gas from um, uh, Turkey's big uh, uh, gas field uh, to Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, all with growing economies that can't meet their current energy needs. Uh, people here in the U.S. and Europe may not understand this or even be able to relate to this, but those growing economies, they cannot produce enough electricity for their people. So they have massive brownouts every day because there's a delta. There's not enough electricity to meet the need of the people. So this pipeline will do a couple of things. It's going to um, 
shift the uh, electrical generation plants that are using coal right now, which are horrible for the environment, to natural gas. And then they'll also, of course, use the natural gas for cooking and heating, heating hot water. Once again, getting away from dirty coal. So this is a, a great, great, great project. It's going to take a while to build this thing. Um, but it looks like it's going through. Um, all of the countries have agreed upon it. The budget's in place. Um, so now it's just a matter of actually doing the construction and getting gas flowing. What's this TAPI agreement they're talking about? Yeah, that's um, um, TAPI is a, 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 a consortium between Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and Turkey. And so you almost think of it like a separate holding company where the, the different countries have all chipped in and agreed to have the regulations in place to make this thing easy. So it's just a way to have a central place build this pipeline where, that, where a bunch of companies, countries, I'm sorry, will benefit. And they're groundbreaking. How you said it's going to take a, a while to get it going. What is a while? Uh, this is probably about this is probably about a three or four year project, and it's several billion dollars of investment. Um, the good thing is they actually have the skilled labor in that part of the world to get this thing done. Uh, if you're trying to do something this big in the U.S., you, you would actually run into labor issues more than anything because <laughs> we just don't have enough skilled labor to build pipelines like we used to. Yeah. So, uh, uh, could you get a job if you were an American <laughs> going over there? Uh, you know what, James? When we do our careers podcast, we're going to actually talk. I have a couple of jobs that are uh, people are in the U.S. looking to hire people with certain skill sets, and they're going to ship them overseas. So, yes. Interesting. Interesting. And I'll have to ask um, my buddy, my buddy uh, Jake Mitchell about that because he's working for a company now that's, that's supplying subcontractors. I wonder if they do any work overseas that way. All right. How do you stop the biggest gas leak ever? This is a story that's been going on for a while. Uh, I haven't brought it up, but it's kind of an elephant in the room at this point, and I, I just want to know the, what's going on. Yeah, so um, th th this article is in Bloomberg, and it has a bit of a, a bias. I don't like really the way it was written, but it, there's some facts in here. So a couple things you need to understand. Natural gas, a big component of natural gas is methane, right? And methane is a greenhouse gas. So this um, natural gas company, and by the way, neither natural gas or methane can you actually smell, right? So what the natural gas companies do in the U.S. is they add, I think it's sulfur dioxide to it, which basically makes the natural gas smell like rotten eggs, and they do that for safety reasons. That way, if there's any leak anywhere, you can smell it. If they didn't do that, you would, stuff would blow up and you would never know because you couldn't smell it. So anyway, this is a natural gas company in Southern California, and they basically have taken a depleted oil field and used it for natural gas storage. So they had pumped a bunch of natural gas in this depleted oil field. And that's a very common thing. Um, they do it here in Texas, except they do it in salt domes. Um, and, and what happens is you wait for the price to go up, then you pull it out of the ground, and you sell it at a profit. It also buffers your, your demand cycles throughout the year. You were talking well, about that with, with my friend Adam yesterday, that, about this whole people doing that across the yeah. oil field right now there's kind of a market developing there it, well it's, it's storage and storage is huge in the u.s we don't have enough storage it's all used up so people um, are, are building storage facilities and you know a lot of times when i say storage facilities people think tank farms no it's usually underground uh, depleted either water or oil fields or salt domes that they that they uh, re-engineer and use it to store this massive amount of gas underground but anyway so this natural gas company has had a leak and uh, they could not stop the leak. And it really wasn't that bad. Um, but unfortunately, what happened is, is they, they tried to fix it themselves, basically using um, um, drilling mud uh, and salt water to, to um, 
overcome the pressure of in the ground to stop the leak. In the process, they blew out the casing. <laughs> and if oh. the audience doesn't know, the casing is basically the last line of fence that lines the well bore so nothing can leak. And so you can get clean seals. Well, since they blew out the casing, now the leak has intensified dramatically, and it's pumping out tons and tons of natural gas. Now, unfortunately, this article, they keep calling it methane. It's not methane. It's natural gas that has methane in it. And, of course, they're doing that because it, it comes out as evil oil and gas companies when you spout methane, methane, methane. So now they got Boots and Coots out there who uh, is the world's best at uh, taking control of, of wells that are out of control. And Boots and Coots um, is uh, drilling a relief well, and they'll put some new casing, and they'll stop it. <laughs> I love how civil it is. Just boom. Done. Well, it's boots and coots. That this is what they do. How, all okay, over the world. Tell me about boots and coots because I haven't heard of these guys. I, I may uh, actually no, I've heard of them, but yeah, I don't know the background. Fred Adair. Okay. Okay. Boots and coots started I mean in the sixties. And they do some crazy they came with some crazy engineering stuff. My favorite one is they took this bulldozer and they armored it with steel plate thermal steel plates and they rigged it with water sprinklers and they put a big pipe on the end of it at the end of that pipe they put several pounds of tnt and they they would go to a well that had a blowout so basically the the tree was blown off the wellhead and the wells on fire and they would turn the water on because the getting close to that fire was so hot it would melt the bulldozer and kill the driver so it had to be covered with water the whole time and the driver would drive <laughs> the bulldozer with the pipe and tnt up to where the flames were and then pull the detonation cord on the tnt and it would blow out the welds like you blow out a birthday candle <laughs> how crazy <laughs> how crazy and, and they invented oh, that pass so, me the whiskey baby let's go <laughs> and so this is what they do. And Desert Storm, you know, all those oil wells that um, that were set on fire, they put all those wells out. This is what they do. So th this isn't this probably isn't even hard for them. It's not on fire for one thing. Um, so yeah, they'll take control of it and they'll get it fixed. It's an accident. It accidents happen. Good thing is nobody got hurt. Now, of course, the local residences are complaining about a lot of health issues, and the gas company is doing something I think very responsible. Anybody that's complaining, they're housing them. They're getting them hotel rooms or other houses, and they're paying for it this whole time. So um, they'll they'll get this under control. Great, great. All right, under control. Halliburton said to plan to sail uh, sale of Baker's offshore fluids unit. What's going on here? Are they getting uh, getting their balance sheet under control? No, this is all the Department of Justice uh, concerns over it being non-competitive, being a monopoly. So Halliburton, before they even bought Baker. I mean, I know for a fact they've done this. They did the research and figured out what business units of Baker they'd have to sell off so the uh, DOJ wouldn't give them grief. So they'd actually let this deal go through. And this this um, this article in Bloomberg was talking about how they're going to end up selling off one of the um, more profitable business units, which is offshore fluids, uh, you know, which is a big part of Baker's profitability part. But Halliburton has their own offshore fluids and their, their own drilling bud and stuff. So it's not going to really hurt Halliburton. And the truth is Halliburton has no choice. They have to divestify some of this so they can get approval from DOJ. And just earlier, we we're talking about Boots and Coots. Guess who owns Boots and Coots now? I, Baker Hughes or Halliburton? Halliburton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, they, they knew this was coming because, as as a entrepreneur, when I hear you say, hear you say, sorry, folks, it, it's it's Nape Week. I'm a little off. All right, <laughs> but what I hear you say um, that it's going to that they have to sell a very profitable business unit. My heart hurts a little bit, right? Yeah, but they have their own drilling fluids business unit. Halliburton does. So but Baker and Halliburton have a lot of similar businesses. So, so who who would be the buyer of something like that? Oh, another one of the service companies, right? So, uh, Weatherford, Slumberjay, or or maybe even an investment company that wants to get in the oil and gas business. Who knows? 
<laughs> anybody who wants to make some money off of a really good uh, drilling fluid business unit, basically. Yeah. All right. Lower prices push oil and gas industry to further standardization and big data. Yeah, we've touched on this before. So basically, the low crude prices have hurt the industry's profitability, not the entire industry, but part of the industry. And so what's happened, this article is talking about how um, we need further standardization because, believe it or not, there's a, a lot of non-standardized stuff that goes on in this industry. It just drives <laughs> Believe it or up. not? <laughs> yeah. And, and also big data and analytics, you know, be able to look at the data that they have sitting there already and use it to help the business become more efficient. Um, so, you know, this article goes through how a lot of upstream companies are cutting CapEx and that they need a way to function in lower oil prices. Now, you know, my prediction is we'll be back to 60 uh, relatively soon, but we're not going to hit 80 or 100. So this is a, a long-term strategy by the oil and gas industry, and it deals with stuff like operational efficiency, operational excellence. And this is just a good article showing how um, standardization and uh, analytics and big data can drive more profits. And they're talking about capital investments going to be declining in 2016. That's not, not too much of a surprise. Um, and that's that's mostly expensive oil off um, upstream projects, not midstream or downstream projects. So define here efficiency and standardization. So efficiency is just doing things better. Let me let me tell you a real world example of standardization, which costs this industry a ton of money. Any deep water field or, or any offshore field, uh, we'll take a field in the Gulf of Mexico somewhere. Anadarko may have 30 wells in that field, and they need to order 30 trees from somebody like uh, FMC or, or um, Cameron. Every one of those trees is going to be a little bit different. Think about that. How much it would be cheaper to take the most robust tree that you can build, make it the standard, so you can build all 30 trees the exact same way. And then there's no standardization in the industry. So BP will have its own standards. Exxon has its own standards. Chevron has its own standards, so on and so on. So just standardizing something like a tree <laughs> would drive millions of dollars of cost savings, and it would be just as safe and just as reliable. Actually, in some ways, it'd probably be safer. In that case, though, are they pushing back or not wanting to do that because of a competitive advantage? No, it's because what you always hear in this industry, we've never done that before. Right. It's the, the aversion to risk because this is how they've always done it. Right, right. And, and now with technology, we can mitigate that risk. I, I Literally, you could build a tree that's as robust as the worst well and make that the standard. So you have basically over-engineered trees in every other well, and it would still be cheaper because you built everything the same. And so our are crude prices going to drive a standardization like that? Yeah, you'll see. And, 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 you know, the tree may or may not be a good example, but you're already starting to see standardization. You're seeing um, operators work with their vendors and their service companies to come up with the cost savings that revolve around doing things the same way, the same process, the same time, same delivery, same warehouse, that sort of stuff. And so it's just an evolution in the industry that's needed. Yeah, I see that the the last subhead here, let's all work together. So it looks like they're definitely headed in that direction, which is good because, <laughs> yeah, that that's, uh, well, it, it reminds me of the conversation we were having yesterday on the way down to Nape when you were talking about, um, moving from caliber to, uh, whatever, I'm not, I'm not the gun guy you are, but how we have to take bullets from Italy and they don't work as well. <laughs> I forgot that conversation. Yeah, so our U.S. Armed Services basically changed its sidearm to a 9mm, this was years ago, so that other NATO countries could loan us ammunition. So if, basically if one of our soldiers is in a firefight in Italy and he needs to borrow ammunition from the Italian soldiers, it works in his gun. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Hopefully they, they, they choose the right one, though, because you were telling me that, that you, you don't want 
uh, you don't want to have to deal with the pistol that they have now. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in uh, big bullets. So I, so I like a 45, a 40, 45, 10 millimeter, 357, something that has some stopping power. <laughs> right. You probably really should not go down this route on the show, James. <laughs> Uh, I, I went as far as I wanted to, but it was good. It was fun. Um, throwing a link in here on, on the, on the point of operational efficiencies, Neil went, wrote a really fantastic article on triberocket.com lean six Sigma projects, five questions you need to succeed. Yeah. And I thought this was a great article. Good job, Neil. And what he did is he talked you through lean uh, six Sigma. Now let me explain something out there. Cause I know somebody's gonna complain about this. There's, that's actually two methodologies mushed together, lean manufacturing and Sig Sigma. Both of them are efficiencies methodology. They go about a little bit different. Um, and GE has combined them and called it lean Sig Sigma. So for the purist out there, this is actually two different methodologies work together. We know that, right? But it works for GE, and Neil wrote a great article, so tough. <laughs> um, but he, he talks you through a high level on what you should be thinking about when you're looking at trying to prove efficiencies, right? Not necessarily the steps, but how you need to think. And that's the key to it because you literally have to change the way you think about stuff. So this is a great article. Anybody out there that's looking to improve efficiencies, you know, if you're in a $10 billion a year company or you're in a $100,000 a year company, you should read this, right? It'll give you some ideas of how to increase the efficiencies in your, even in your own daily life. So this is very well done. So just walk us um, a, a little bit through that, that thought process. Yeah. So, so one of the things you need to think about is literally back up, look at all the processes and figure out where's their waste, where are you wasting time, where are you wasting money, and then put those in order, right? So what's the biggest waste and what's the smallest waste? Don't try to fix all of them. Start with the big ones. Fix that first. That's going to make the biggest impact. The other thing is communications. Communication, if you don't have proper communication, you're naturally going to have inefficiencies. You can have waste. Um, so it's um, you know starting small, thinking about continuous improvement, questioning why um look at if there's any type of repetitive process that you do that you can eliminate a, a real common one is email how many people do you know use their email inbox as a file cabinet and they reread the same email three four five eight twenty times right and they leave it in there as a to-do reminder that's unbelievably inefficient <laughs> way to deal with that so um read through this if you have some interest he, neil did a great job all right. And, and then moving on, I, man, I was really happy that I was, I came across this article because, um, they, they go into materials w with some depth, the relationship between material selection and machining process. I can't believe you found this. So this is going down to the different grades of Incadel. This is talking yeah, about... Yeah, baby. This is inside baseball talk right This here. is talking about how non-ferrous metals oxidize, and that oxidation la layer protects them from corrosion, but then it becomes an uneven layer. So this is a deep, 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 deep dive between materials and how the machining process works. Um, I, you know, I don't... I, even I don't want to go this deep in, into fasteners and threads and ball valves and you know how all this stuff is machined. But th if you're in this world, this is a very good article. Yeah, it, it's one of those articles I might not know everything that's in it, but I sure sh I sure feel smarter just reading it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people don't realize what the thought that goes into something as simple as a bolt. I mean, you know, it's there's a lot of engineering, a lot of work, a lot of material selection, and to make something as simple as a bolt. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a follow up question, but I, I, I don't even this is just great stuff. Um, the, like I said, total inside baseball from chemical engineering. It's actually uh, chemin 
chemengonline.com. All of these, by the way, in the show notes, triberocket.com forward slash TW50 on this one. And so if you want to if you want to take a deep dive and really geek out on this one, it's in there. Let's talk about oil slump reverberates and chemicals from Chemistry World. Yeah, I you know, I'm not, not exactly sure I agree with everything's in this article. Basically what they're saying is that um, because the uh, petrochemical industry, the raw feedstock price, which is usually crude or natural gas, has gotten so cheap that the prices of the petrochemicals are also coming down. So the profit margins have stayed the same. And they talk about the – they think this is going to push back a lot of uh, petrochemical projects here in the U.S. I don't see that, James. I, I mean I really don't. I, you know, I got my finger on that pulse really well right now, and there's a lot of uh, petrochemical projects in the U.S. that are being built. Um, that are being pro- uh, permitted, that there's budgets being released for. Um, and I think I think the one thing the article misses a little bit is the petrochemicals that we make in the U.S., we don't we don't hardly use any of them. We export them all. And the countries that have a huge appetite that are the emerging economies, uh, India, China, that sort of stuff. And yes, China's economy is slowing down, but it's not stop. It's not going backwards. And India's economy is on a roar. So um, not really sure I agree that the low crude prices are going to um, hurt the uh, petrochemical industry. So what about going back to this, uh, to this sparring, this, this, this interesting conversation you had with Adam Ferris yesterday, where he was talking about that with low crude prices, people are going to stop producing. And so, I don't know, he had some interesting predictions around that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, so his his big thing was that um, he didn't think production was was good, good curtail off, and so supply would stay oversupplied, and we would stay in this very very extremely thirty dollar barrel crude market. And I just don't see it happen. You're already starting to see um, production go down, especially in the the what I call the um, the the swing. Um, uh, rigs where you know something like on land like fracking where it's relatively inexpensive to stop drilling and just wait versus you know a deep water project where it just you would lose hundreds of millions of dollars if you stop that project in the middle of it so um rig count's gone down drilling's gone down completion's gone down um our production actually went up last month but the rate of production is de- declining so I'm, I'm i'm you know i'm confident that productions will slow down here in the u.s in the in the you know, things like the frack fields. And then once the prices come back, of course, they'll go back into production again. But, but tying that back to the petrochemical downstream, midstream side of things. Um, yeah. Ahead. So, um, you know, um, and, uh, you know, whatever is my, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm seeing a lot of pipeline projects go on and the pipeline companies are very smart. They don't just build a pipeline and hope they make money before they even build anything. They get contracts signed. So they know how much money they make. So they know it's economically feasible to build a pipeline. So the pipeline projects going on in the U.S. are already funded. They're already guaranteed income for you know, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50 years. Um, the, the cheap, inexpensive crude natural gas inherently means that we're going to consume a lot of it. It just inherently means we need to transport it, and pipe is cheaper and safer than rail. So I, I see no slowdown in the pipeline projects either. And then that led to an interesting conversation on debt restructuring. And then we met a man who is there to do exactly that. Well, what's cool about him is he he's in this debt restructuring world, but not in oil and gas. He saw this opportunity, and so they came and opened an office in Houston, I mean literally just recently, because he sees this huge demand for debt restructuring oil and gas. So he's go out, open a business, make some money. And by him opening a business, making some money, he's got to hire people, which means it's going to drive prosperity. And so good stuff. Good stuff. And then moving on to your article, Low Crude Driving Downstream Boom. Yeah, so I wrote this a while back, but the facts mirror still the, the 
still the same facts, right? So, um, and uh, in 2014, uh, downstream in the U.S. and Canada spent about $22 billion in new projects. 2015, which is last year, is $27.3 billion. 2016, there could be $48.9 billion worth of projects. And that's not, um, you know, counting all the um, the pipeline projects and infrastructure, road, electrical plants that needs to be built to support this. That's just pure then, projects. I'm sorry? Pure projects. And yeah, pure yeah, projects. That's not uh, the, the tangential things that will come along. Right. And then I even talk about the boom in, um, in labor in downstream. So in 2017, here's the interesting number. 2017, we're going to need 188 million man hours of labor. We only have 119 million man hours of capacity. Where is that 78 million man hours going to come from? It doesn't exist, wow. which means it's going to drive wages up, which means labor is going to be competitive in downstream. So, you know, I guess the, the walk away from this is if you're if you're worried about your job, if you got a package, you got laid off, if you're up in upstream or a service company, look at downstream, especially here in the U.S. There's a need for what you do there. Can you give us some examples of companies? Because that's where I that's where I really stumble, because I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this because I've learned it from you. And it's easy because when you talk upstream, I, I can go, well, Exxon, Apache, blah, 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 all the way from, from super majors to major independents and so forth. What are some companies downstream that people can look at? You just named one. So Exxon, their downstream business is on fire. Chevron, BP, Shell. Now, I'm telling you, if somebody's looking for a job, the best place is go to a company like a CBI. CBI is one of the suppliers, um, and it stands for – something bridge something it's it's an old 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 company but just look up cbi incorporated they provide all the labor in are almost all labor in downstream and midstream um so they're hiring like crazy right now that would be the best way in and then once you're in once you go work as a subcontractor for somebody like chevron or whatever then you can get to know the company and if you want to jump ship later you can all right i'm i'm writing that down cbi so i can throw that in the show notes and anybody who is listening that is in that predicament of looking for for a position. You can also listen to the Oil & Gas Careers podcast, but I will put that CBI link into the show notes, triberocket.com forward slash TW50. All right, moving on, Flint Hills Resources plans $750 million in capital investment at its Minnesota refinery. Yeah, do I even, even say anything at this point? <laughs> 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 so they're going to sink – Three quarters of a billion dollars um, in their in their refinery to do some upgrades and some um, major equipment um, repairs. It's going to be the largest construction project um, at the refinery in the last, I think, twenty years, and they're going to need about twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred people. Yeah, <laughs> additional workers. Right. Here's a prime example of what we've been saying. Downstream is on fire. <laughs> Here's a bunch of jobs. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's, it, this is a long-term deal. This isn't going to be like a, a, a one-week or two-week thing. This, this you know, $750 investment, this is, probably, this is probably three or four years worth of work. So, um, you know, people, if you're looking for work, check this out. Um, you know, once again, in Minnesota, at least, here's some prosperity for the town that this refinery is in, Rosemont, I think. Um, so, you know, good stuff. And, and I bet that they're probably got their guys outfitted with Red Wings since they're up there in Minnesota. Oh, you know what? I bet they are. I bet they're in Red Wing uh, FRs. I guarantee you they're in Red Wing boots. Definitely, at least. that. The largest investment is the re, uh, is the replacement of two 1960s-era coking units and integrated heaters. What are those? So a uh, coking unit is like this big, huge, enormous steel drum that they basically bake the crude oil in. Now, let me tell you something that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you caught that. 
Do you know what's going to happen when they replace these 1960 uh, um, era cokers with new ones? Emissions? I don't know. Yeah, you know, right. It's, it's going to reduce um, emissions dramatically. So here, once again, here's here's an example of the oil and gas industry helping to clean up the environment. This yeah. thing's been running since the 60s with the old cokers. Now we're going to put new ones in there, much more, much more uh, efficient as far as uh, not polluting the environment. Yeah, so – we give jobs and we do the environment. So yeah, we, we and you gotta, don't ever hear this in the news. Nope, <laughs> You're only here on oil and gas this week, ladies and gentlemen. All right, uh, this is a really great article to finish off with because we're we're down there at Nape, and nine things a salesperson should do during a business downturn. Yeah, and, and look, people, I'm a former, I'm a re- recovering salesperson myself. Been there, done that. Um, one of the things I don't like. And in, in anybody that's ever worked for me, and, and quite frankly, people in our industry, if you're in sales and oil and gas, quit whining. There's stuff you can do about these low crew prices, right? Um, and so I just went through a quick list of things that would actually help you in, in any salesperson, not just in oil and gas, in a downturn. So things like changing your playing field. So if you've always sold to the super majors, guess who you should maybe go try to sell to? We just talked about the refineries, right? Change your playing fields. Live and die by your numbers. Now, this is sales 101, but how many cold calls do you make? How many meetings do you, do you have? How many proposals do you have up there? The other thing is become an efficiency expert. If you're stuck selling it upstream, figure out a way to save time and money. They need time and money savings that people will buy from you. And then the other thing is the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of sales organizations in a downturn is to drop prices. Don't do that. Why would you decrease your margins when your sales are suffering? Put your heads together. Come up with a new impact a solution that impacts the business greatly and people will buy it. There's still hundreds of million dollars, even in upstream of, of companies buying stuff. You need to solve a problem they have. And then I, I just go through a, a whole bunch of uh, other things to help you in a business downturn. Um, and this is my way of trying to keep the people from whining and actually help you make your number this time. If you're a salesperson, because the only thing that matters in this life, Mark LaCour is to get them to sign on the line, which is dotted. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't count until you have ink on the contract. And it really doesn't count until that check clears the bank. That's the truth. <laughs> All right, moving on. Those are our stories. We have our Onion of the Week. I love when I pick one that Mark doesn't think's funny. Disney World opens new ordeal kingdom <laughs> for family meltdowns. And having been to Disney World and m- mostly Cedar Point, I think it's really nice that that these guys are doing this because – I'm pretty sure that every single family vacation of mine ended in some meltdown at a uh, at a theme park. <laughs> so um, we have a winner, though, Mr. Mark Coeur, for our Red Wing Offshore Bag giveaway. And who is this winner today? Chris DiPaolo. He's an expert at Boston Consulting Group. Boston Consulting Group. We we go deep to unlock insight and have a and have the courage to act. We bring the right people together to challenge established thinking and drive transformation. We work with our clients to build the capabilities that enable organizations to achieve sustainable advantages. We are shaping the future together. And I'm going to put it in the show notes because, you know, I'm a big company culture, corporate culture geek. And these guys got the culture down, man. They've got, they've got a a whole, it's like a whole section of their website is about their values. Yeah, that's cool. So, folks, if you want one of these offshore bags, and they are awesome, let me tell you, uh, go to the link that uh, it's in the show notes. All you have to do is sign up real quick, and you can sign up every week. And we're giving these away till when, James? End of March? End of March. Yeah. So uh, no purchase necessary. See page for official rules. Go do it.
go do it. And it is at pot. Um, I'm sorry, podcast. It's at redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Shout out to Red Wing. Y'all are awesome, awesome people to work with. And everyone that has got one, I, I mean, we're getting tagged on Twitter and LinkedIn and people are, you know, taking pictures and everything. It's, it's just, it's really fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to be, uh, to, to, the, the, I'd say the funniest, the funniest, the funnest thing for me is getting to know more of our audience. I love yeah. it. I yeah, love and, it. And, and, and the stuff that we get back, we, we literally have people snapping snapshots of the journey of this bag. And I just think it's cool because you're right. We get to know our audience so much better. Yeah. All right. Events on deck. Uh, a big one, not next week, but the following week, IA, IHS Energy Sarah Week. I mean, this usually dominates the headlines. Even main, even mainstream press gets a lot of of. Uh, it, it's almost like a like a Salesforce event <laughs> in oil and gas. It, it it really dominates. So that's coming up February twenty second through the twenty sixth at the Hilton Americas. Do you do you, have you ever been to IHS Air Week? I've never gotten there. I'm not going this this year. I, I usually go. And what I like about uh, uh, Sarah Week is that literally the global energy thought leaders are in one place at one time talking about what's going on in the industry. I, I usually get some really good data from Sarah Week. I just I got conflicts and have customer stuff I have to do, so I'm not going to be able to make it this year. Let me see if I can get a press pass. Maybe you can get me a press pass. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of late. Kind of late. Kind of late. I know. And I, and I do have a, I do, I do have an article on my website called How to Annoy and Dominate Your Competition, especially if they're IHS Sarah. So <laughs> um, that's kind of fun. All right. 10th Midstream Summit. I got to get out to this because I've never been to a midstream conference. And February, this is actually happening next week, the 16th through the 18th at the Houston Marriott West Loop. And have you ever been to this? I mean, it's the 10th annual or so. Yeah, no, I've, I've been, it's a smaller conference, but it's all pipeline people. And it's, um, I, I love it. It's, um, cause you get to actually talk to people in the business. It's not a bunch of salespeople, nothing gets salespeople. Um, but it's, it's actually business leaders in, in the midstream um, part of the industry. So this, this year, um, maybe you and I'll go, maybe I'll get us press passes because this would be a good year to actually pick their brains about what they see, you know, out in the next 10 or 20 years. Yeah, good good time for for projections and and for me just learning more in terms of the other segments of this industry, and then finally Mid Continent Digital Oil Field Conference, February seventeenth through eighteenth. That's happening up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So anybody near Tulsa that wants to get to know about the Internet of Things or the digital oil field, as we call it here, um, you can head up that way. Any 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 comments on that one? Yeah, if you get a chance to go to any of these uh, digital oil field conferences, now this one's around fracking, right, midcon and stuff, but you really should go. This is going to be the wave of the future, and the more that you can learn about it, not only is it interesting, but the more you um, set yourself up for future success, no matter what your career is. Yep, I got to get. I got to get to. Uh, I, I just got to get to know more of the digital oil field. <laughs> that's 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 my thing. But today we've uh, we've got to hurry up and get out of here because we got to get down downtown to George R. Brown. Before we do that, though, thank you, everyone. We're getting so many questions since we did our first Friday Q&A. They're just flowing in. I, I know I'm, CC, I'm CCing you on everything. Are you seeing all these questions coming across? Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. And, and, you know, we're seeing this trend. So not only are we getting more questions, they're better questions. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's getting actually harder sometimes to answer them. <laughs> um, but I love it, right? So keep them coming. This is a way for you to get your question answered on the air. And uh, we'll give you a shout out if, uh, if we use your question. Yeah, and it's at triprocket.com forward slash QA, or you can go all most of these questions um, now are coming through my contact page. So just triprocket.com and then just click contact in the drop down. One of the options is uh, ask a question for the QA shows. So we have some reviews, brother, not just some, several. We had four reviews from last week. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you to these people going out and, and, and taking that minute and a half. So let me just bust through these as quick as I can. All right, we got five-star review. Great. This I loved this one because it, it, it validated me, which you know I need as a middle child. Great marketing and oil and gas expertise from GR7 underscore 11, five stars. The combination of marketing strategy and oil and gas expertise makes for a very effective podcast. I enjoy the format in which they break down the news by selecting articles and explaining. Also love learning about Mark LaCour. He seems to have all the same interests as I have. Scary. <laughs> That's frightening. Scary, scary. I'm a little frightened. I'm a little frightened. All right. Uh, great show. Uh, great job with the show. Superman 234. Five stars. Great job keeping us informed with the world of oil and gas. Thank you for listening. And then BDM, uh, it says BDM, that, that's the title of the review. Uh, Andertuck06, great show, entertainment, entertaining and informative, easy to listen to, and gives a broad view of the markets. The guys doing the show are onto something huge. I dig that. <laughs> Thank I love you. that. Yeah. <laughs> We're onto something here, Mark. This might be going, you know, you might be going somewhere, kid. Even though I thought it was a waste of time. <laughs> Even though you thought it was a waste of time. All right. And then um, lastly from iTunes, love this show. And this is from Ren Kenj, five stars. I stumbled across this podcast a few months ago. Really appreciate what you guys are doing here. It's a great way for me to stay in the loop of what's going on in the industry. And I look forward to it every week. Keep up the great work and I'll keep listening as long as you guys keep producing and enjoy the rig tour. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just, we're going to keep producing, man, because uh, it, I, I'm looking forward to show 200. I don't know if Mark is, because then he has to talk to me 150 more times. But um, And then over, over I, I, I said that I would read these because I have to, uh, because awesome that people are, are, are giving us reviews on Stitcher. And so we've got three reviews on Stitcher, five stars, great show with great content. Mark and James, great podcast in November 2015. I powered through the podcast from from the beginning and have not missed an episode since. That's awesome. And you know what, Mark? I I, I hear that all the time. Yeah, I do too. All the time. People listening to every episode, beginning to end, is fantastic. It has truly helped me to learn more about the industry and how it works. It's amazing how it touches just about every other industry in the world. Thank you for the content and breaking news down with your explanation so that anyone listening can understand it. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Um, and then <laughs> this next one, I missed the I missed the 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 joke in here, but how how we break it down. So Five stars from Addy, the most useful energy podcast I've found online. An excellent show that reveals the the in uh, the in workings of the energy industry instead of using jargon and quoting analyst uh, analyst figures, which probably makes sense to space orangutans. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. They explain how the industry functions in a very simple manner. And that's because I'm a simple man and I have to slow Mark down and and (laughs) say, what does that mean? Uh, So thank you, Addy. That's that's hilarious. And then PK Wilson, this podcast is the bee's knees. Cool. (laughs) During such a difficult time, this podcast is promoted is has promoted everything positive about the future in this vast industry keep on keeping on i love it brother keeping on i love it we are going to keep on keeping on and and you know us putting a light on the positive that's that's what we're all about because I, i can't say it enough no matter how bad things seem remember you work in a 33 trillion dollar industry if you can't get fat and happy eating from this pie you probably just need to go bag groceries (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, Mark. If 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 uh if if you made it this far in the show, we would love it if you would share it. You can go to the show notes, trybrocket.com forward slash TW50 and just click the social button of your choice. Or if you don't feel like doing that, trybrocket.com forward slash share li. We'll go to LinkedIn forward slash share TW. We'll go to Twitter forward slash share FB. We'll go to Facebook. And if you made it this far, Come on, hook us up. Yeah, come on, folks. It takes a minute and 40 seconds. Uh, share it, give us a review, and it just helps us get out in front of more people who can enjoy our podcast. Definitely. Let's get out of here, Mark. We got we got business to get to. Yep. Remember, folks. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Mark almost did the sign-off for the Oil & Gas Careers Podcast. Yeah. So do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. I know it sounds horrible, like I'm an old man, but that I'll be way past my bedtime.